0: I would be in big trouble without her. Today we will be in Mark chapter 5, but we will not be finishing up Mark chapter 5, for I am no Ricardo church, and thus will not be exegeting some 20 plus verses for you all this morning. But instead, we will be simply splitting up this narrative about Jesus Christ healing a woman and healing Jairus' daughter into two parts— Therefore, today we will only be looking at verses 21 through 34 in Mark chapter 5, which is right in the middle, church, of this section in the Gospel of Mark, where John Mark quite clearly and quite profoundly is displaying to his readers the authority and the sovereignty that our Lord Jesus Christ possesses. And I say that because as we started this section back in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, we saw initially that Jesus Christ, after a long day of teaching, that He left the shores of Capernaum and went with His disciples in a boat across the Sea of Galilee. However, during this little trek church, a massive windstorm broke out to the point that waves were just pounding and breaking into and on top of their boat and were quite literally filling their boat up with water. Therefore, Jesus' disciples then, who are in just an absolute panic due to the intensity of the storm, they hastily go to Jesus Christ, who was sleeping at this time, and they say to him in verse 38, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' And like that church, Jesus Christ, he awakens from his slumber and verse 39 rebukes the wind and says to the sea, peace, be still, and the wind church, it ceased and there was a great calm. To which Jesus' disciples then are left in just absolute fear and in absolute all of Jesus Christ, wondering, verse 41, for who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? However, as Mark goes on to allude in this section, Jesus Christ isn't just sovereign over the wind, over the sea, and over the forces of nature, but additionally, Jesus Christ is also sovereign over the demonic. Because as we saw last week, church, Jesus Christ then, when he finally got off that aforementioned boat and came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, chapter 5, verse 1— He came into contact, verse 2, with a man with an unclean spirit, or with a demon-possessed man who was naked, who was not in his right mind, and who was living amongst the dead, and who came running up to Jesus Christ, and in falling down before him, said to him that his name was Legion, for we are many, and that there were many unclean spirits possessing and tormenting this man at this time." Nevertheless, church, even the unclean spirits here knew that they were no match for Jesus Christ. Therefore, they begged him, in verse 12, to send them into some pigs that were feeding on a hillside, to which Jesus Christ, verse 13, gave them permission to do. And like that church, the unclean spirits, they came out of the man and they entered into the pig's And the demon-possessed man who initially came to Jesus Christ naked and out of his mind, if you remember, now is seen in verse 15, clothed and in his right mind as well. Let's clearly display here, church, that our God, Jesus Christ, is absolutely sovereign over the demonic forces of evil. Which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church. To the main theme of our sermon this morning which is this. For Jesus Christ is not only sovereign over the forces of nature and not only sovereign over the demonic forces of evil but He is also sovereign over disease. For Jesus Christ is not only sovereign over the forces of nature and not only sovereign over the demonic forces of evil but he is also sovereign over disease. Now for at this time, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. And if you are joining us this morning and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please know that there are church Bibles located in each and every chair in front of you this morning. Therefore, again, if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to grab And even to keep one of our church Bibles is our gift to you this morning. However, the only thing we ask, if indeed you do keep one, is that you read it, starting today, by turning to page 840, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 5 this morning, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 21 through 34 where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue. "'Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet "'and implored him earnestly, saying, "'My little daughter is at the point of death. "'Come and lay your hands on her "'so that she may be made well and live.' "'And he went with him. "'And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. "'And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood "'for twelve years and who had suffered much "'under many physicians.' Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how comforting it is to read this text. Lord, and to know that you hear the cries of your people when they come to you in faith, when the righteous cry out for help, We have a God who hears his people, who responds to his people, who delivers his people and cares for his people, and who ultimately heals his people. Father, I pray that you open the eyes of this dear flock this morning, that you open their ears, and that you soften their hearts this morning to receive your word. Lord, if they need conviction for sin, Lord, convict them. If they need encouragement for what they are dealing with, encourage them. But Father, I pray that your word speak to them this morning. Send your Holy Spirit to work amongst us, I pray. Father, I also pray that you help me communicate to this dear flock this morning the truths that you have revealed to us in your word not my opinion of them, not my thoughts on them, not stories about my life about them, but that we give, that I give them this morning your word. Help me, Father, I pray, to be faithful to this task so that you and you alone this morning be glorified through our preaching, through our singing, through our prayers, and through our worship as a church body. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one Christian, our God is never too busy to hear our cries and to compassionately respond to us. Christian, our God is never too busy to hear our cries and to compassionately respond to us. Verses 21 through 24. So after healing the demon-possessed man, and after being begged by those in the region to depart from the region, since they were, verse 15, afraid of him, Jesus Christ goes back across the Sea of Galilee, likely taking about a six-mile trip back to the region of Capernaum. And once again, as Jesus Christ reaches the shores of Capernaum, another great crowd gathers around him. Or as Luke puts it in his parallel account, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Which again shouldn't come as a surprise to us, church, since as we have seen over and over again throughout the gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ and large crowds, well, they go together like peanut butter and jelly. Nevertheless, what does make this narrative rather unique is that at some point following Jesus' arrival, verse 22, one of the rulers of the synagogue, a man by the name of Jairus, came to Jesus and when seeing him fell at his feet. Now, a scholar James Edwards explains, a ruler of the synagogue would have been a lay member who was entrusted by the community to handle the general oversight of the synagogue. Therefore, their responsibilities would have included that of building maintenance, security, getting the scrolls needed for scripture reading, and so forth. Now, Although this man named Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue and not one of the antagonistic scribes of the Pharisees that we've read about so frequently in the Gospel of Mark, Being church that Jairus oversaw so much of what took place in the synagogue, Jairus then had to have known how much the aforementioned Pharisees despised and opposed and rejected and absolutely hated Jesus Christ. And yet that by no means kept this very prominent Jewish religious leader from publicly here humbling himself before Jesus Christ and quite literally falling at his feet. Which leads to the question, then why? For why is Jairus here so desperately seeking out Jesus Christ, a man who he knows the Pharisees of the day absolutely hate? And the answer to that question, as we go on to see in verse 23, is because Jairus' daughter at this time is at the point of death, and that she's literally about to die. Therefore, it is for that reason then, church, that Jairus here, the ruler of the synagogue here, and likely a well-off and honored and revered and affluent individual here, comes to Jesus Christ here and falls at his feet and earnestly implores him and begs him and pleads with him to, verse 23, come and lay his hands on his daughter so that she can be made well and live. Because Jairus here, church, not only knew about how much the Pharisees despised Jesus Christ, but Jairus here also had to have known how Jesus Christ miraculously casted out demons, healed the sick, and cleansed those with disease. And thus, because of that, Jairus here, he goes then to Jesus Christ in faith, believing, church, that he can indeed make his daughter well. And Jesus Christ, then, who has been going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, and who now, upon his arrival, back onto dry ground, already had a great crowd of people gathering around him. Jesus Christ, then, he doesn't say to Jairus, look, man, can't you see I'm busy? Just take your daughter to the doctor. Nor does he say, sorry, man, I can't today, but maybe tomorrow. Nor does he say, get out of here, man, for I'm not ha- helping anyone who has any kind of relationship with the Pharisees or with any of the religious establishment of the day. But instead, Jesus Christ here, even in in the midst of a large crowd that gathered around to see him, on that day, he still hears the desperate cries of this man named Jairus, and with compassion, church, verse 24, he goes with him in order to make his daughter well which seems like a wonderful place to pause for a second, Church, in order to remind you all, as one commentator writes, that we should never fear that God is too busy with the needs of others to pay attention to us, even when our needs seem insignificant. A truth displayed quite clearly by the late Helen Rosevere, an English doctor and missionary to Zaire, who wrote that a mother at her mission station had unfortunately passed away after giving birth to a premature baby, to which Rosevere tried to improvise an incubator in order to keep the infant alive, but the only hot water bottle they had was far beyond repair. Therefore, they asked the children at the mission statement to pray for the baby and for her sister, too, So one of the girls responded by praying, "'Dear God, please send a hot water bottle today. Tomorrow will be too late because by then the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, please also send a doll for her sister too so she won't feel so lonely.'" And sure enough, that afternoon, a large package arrived from England and the children watched eagerly as it was opened. And much to their surprise, under some clothing, was a hot water bottle, to which immediately then the girl who had prayed so fervently started to dig further, exclaiming, if God had sent that hot water bottle, then I am sure he also sent a doll. And she was right, for her heavenly Father heard and knew exactly what she would pray for, and thus five months earlier had a group of ladies include both of her specific requests. For we know, church, that the eyes of the Lord, they are on the righteous, 1 Peter chapter 3, and that he is not only near those who call on him, Psalm 145, but that he also hears those who call on him as well, Psalm chapter 4. And thus, because of that, do you then, Christian, when trials come and tribulations appear and pain just punches you right in the face, do you then cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you? Or do you instead think at times that your God is just too busy for you, or that your God is just too preoccupied to hear you, or that your prayers are just too insignificant for your God to actually listen to? Because the reality is, Christian, no matter how you feel about God or the significance of your prayers, when the righteous cry out, for help, church. The Lord, he not only hears them, but he delivers them out of all of their trouble. Psalm 34. Therefore, do not fall into the trap of thinking, Christian, that your God is distant from you, or too busy for you, or that he somehow doesn't care about each and every one of your needs, but instead realize, Christian, that your sovereign and omnipotent and almighty and omniscient God already knows each and every one of your needs before you even and ask for them, Matthew chapter 6. And not only that, Christian, but he also tells us then to pray to him, Philippians chapter 4, and that nothing is impossible for him, Luke chapter 1, and that he fulfills the desires of those who fear him, Psalm 145, which should naturally then drive us and embolden us and invigorate us, Christian, to always then, no matter the time, place, or situation, to confidently bring our requests before God, and thus pray without ceasing, Christian, to the Father, through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, knowing full well that you have a God who hears his people, who responds to his people, and who will ultimately deliver his people, since he has promised his people that he will never leave us or forsake us, but instead will be faithful to hear us, Christian, when the righteous cry out for help. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Jesus Christ is ultimately sovereign over disease, even over the diseases that mankind cannot heal. Jesus Christ is ultimately sovereign over disease, even over the diseases that mankind cannot heal. Verses 24 through 34, which reads... And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, and be healed of your disease. So Jesus Christ here, he hears the desperate cries of Jairus. He shows him compassion, and then begins to walk with him back to his house in order to heal his daughter. However, as they leave, as we see in verse 24, a great crowd then follows Jesus Christ, so much so that they thronged about him or were pressing in on him as he walked. Nevertheless, church, it is in the midst of this rather chaotic scene here where Jesus is walking with Jairus and a large crowd of people are following him and pressing in on him and touching him that we are introduced in the text in verse 25 to a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now not to be too graphic here, However, this wasn't just some heavy menstrual flow of blood that she was experiencing once a month that Mark is talking about here. But instead, what Mark is getting at here, church, is that this was a chronic or an ongoing condition whereby this woman very consistently had a discharge of blood coming from her for 12 years. And thus, because of that, church, As we go on to see in verse 26, this hemorrhaging woman then, she actually suffered much under many physicians and spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Therefore, long story short here, You have a woman here, church, who was chronically discharging blood and as a result of that has gone to doctor after doctor and spent all the money she had in search of a cure, only to then still not have a cure, but instead for her condition to ultimately then get worse. And on top of that, because of her consistent discharges of blood, she was also then deemed as someone who was ceremonially unclean according to the Levitical law, Leviticus chapter 15. And thus overall, you have a woman here, church, who won't stop hemorrhaging blood, who is out of money, who can't find a cure, who has no religious community to turn to, and who is ultimately seen as an unclean outsider by pretty much everyone around her. And yet, as we go on to see in verse 27, she has also heard the reports about Jesus Christ reports, church, about how he healed the sick and cured the ill and cleansed those with diseases. Therefore, because of that, she then, church, as we see in verse 27, comes up behind Jesus Christ in the crowd and touches his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And sure enough, after touching Jesus' garment on that day, immediately then, verse 29, her flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Since our God and our God alone, make no mistake about it, is truly sovereign over sickness, over illness, over all ailments, and over every possible disease, even over the diseases, church, that mankind cannot cure. However, church, right after this miraculous healing takes place, Jesus Christ then, verse 30, perceiving in himself that power had gone from him, immediately turned and said, who touched my garments? Because, as numerous commentators have pointed out, Jesus Christ wanted to get the healed woman here to come forward, to acknowledge her faith and to share publicly her healing. And thus, with great fear, and with great trembling, the healed woman then, she falls down in absolute awe before Jesus Christ, and verse 33 tells him the whole truth. That being that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and that she thought that if she could just touch Jesus's garment on that day, that she would be healed, and sure enough, she was. And what is just so fascinating here about this understanding that she would be healed simply by touching that of Jesus' garment is that it was most likely based, church, on some kind of crazy superstition from the day. And thus, because of that. Jesus Christ makes clear here that it was most certainly not superstitions that made her well here. Nor was it some mystical magic that made her well. Nor was it the mere touching of his clothing that made her well. But instead, as we see in verse 34, Jesus Christ says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. That your true and sure and sincere faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how small and no matter how imperfect it may be, for that and for that alone has made you well. And when Jesus says to her, church, that your faith has made you well, or as the CSB puts it, that your faith has saved you, he's not just talking about her physical ailments here, but instead what is being communicated here is that because the object of her faith was that of Jesus Christ, that not only then has she been healed physically of her disease, but she also then has been healed spiritually as well. And thus she can leave here today, verse 34, in peace because she has ultimately been reconciled back to God forever, which is only possible, church, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and not, not, not via any of the superstitions of man. Therefore, as we begin to close this morning, I want to begin with the non-Christian who who was here first. And non-Christian, if you are sitting there this morning and you are placing your personal trust or your confidence in anyone other than Jesus Christ to make you well spiritually, then the reality is that you are still dead in your sins, that you will die in your sins, be judged for your sins, and ultimately be condemned for your sins unless you turn and repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, who non-Christian came into this world as truly God and as truly man in order to save sinners from their very sins. And he did that, non-Christian, by initially living the life for sinners that they themselves could never live meaning that the law of God that we as sinners break over and over again, each and every day, non-Christian, that Jesus Christ, that he never broke that law once, but instead lived a perfect and sinless and righteous life here on earth and thus fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely non-Christian for the children of God. However, keeping the law of God For the children of God, that in and of itself, non Christian, was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Because God, in His holiness, non Christian, demands that a debt be paid for sin, that debt being that of death. And thus, because of that, non Christian, Jesus Christ then willingly took our sins upon Himself and paid that debt for us in that he, Jesus Christ, bore the wrath of a holy God that we as sinners deserve for our sin, even though he himself never sinned. And he did that, non-Christian, by being crucified on a cross at Calvary and by dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute. However, the good news of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, it does not end there. And I say that because although the sin Son of God was indeed pierced and crushed and bruised and was crucified, killed, and buried. He was also then accepted by God the Father, non Christian, as a perfect sacrifice on behalf of his children. Therefore, three days later, non Christian, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For no superstition or magic or special garments will ever be able to save you, non-Christian, since only faith in Jesus Christ can save Therefore, let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you are forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we close this morning, I'd like to do so in light of verse 33, which reads, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. So after this woman was healed of her disease, after touching Jesus' garment, Jesus Christ then said, Who touched my garments? Again, because he wanted, church, the woman here to come forward to acknowledge her faith and to publicly share her healing. And thus, I think it's fair to conclude here, church, that Jesus Christ then does not want his followers to keep their faith a secret or hidden from others or concealed from the world, but instead to openly acknowledge him before all. To which I am sure. Some of you might be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I would, Pastor West, openly acknowledge my faith in Jesus Christ before others much more profoundly and much more consistently if I was healed supernaturally of some kind of disease like the hemorrhaging woman was or if I was called to be some kind of evangelist or missionary or preacher or even if I knew just a little bit more about the Bible or could defend my faith just a little bit better before others. However, brother Christian, sister Christian, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, make no mistake about it, he doesn't give any of us. That option. For as D.L. Moody writes, what would you think of a man who wants to be a policeman but who isn't willing to put on a policeman's uniform because he doesn't want anyone to know that he is a policeman? Do you think he would be a very effective policeman? Do you think that your life and your property would be safe with a policeman like that? Or what do you think of a man who wants to fight for his country but says, I don't want to put on a soldier's uniform or have anyone know that I am a soldier. For what would you do with such an army of men? Why, a little band of 500 men whose hearts were truly patriotic and who lived for their country would destroy an army of 500,000 such cowards. For it takes bravery to be a Christian. Mark that. For it takes moral courage to come out and to confess Jesus Christ before others. And the lack of it, well, that keeps more people out of the kingdom of God than anything else. And Moody's most definitely not making stuff up here, church. For as Jesus Christ himself shared in Matthew chapter 10, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But... Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And thus, with that in mind, church, I want to close with this. For we are currently living at a time, brother Christian, sister Christian, when literally the nations are raging. And when children are being killed in the crossfire of war, And when gas prices are rising, retirement funds are falling, and when inflation keeps soaring. For we are living at a time, church, when even the most depraved individuals of our day know in their heart of hearts that something unsettling is taking place right now. And it is for that reason, church, that we as the body of Jesus Christ have a wonderful opportunity sitting right before us at this very time. And I say wonderful, Christian, because despite all the war, and despite all the death, and despite all the inflation, and gas prices, and fear, and what have you, hanging right over our world today, we, brother Christian, sister Christian, have the only message in this world that can offer this world everlasting peace and Us when the world asks you, Christian, for how can you be so optimistic at a time like this, or have such peace at a time like this, or display such joy at a time like this? Do not be selfish, Christian, or ashamed, Christian, or intimidated, or fearful, or timid, Christian, to share with the world the reason for the hope that is in you, and to acknowledge your King Jesus Christ before them, and to share the faith that was once. Once and for all deliver to the saints with them And I say that because the depraved world right now They don't need your silence, Christian But instead what they need is for you to tell them How to get to the narrow gate that leads to eternal life Therefore do not be ashamed to acknowledge your faith In the gospel of Jesus Christ Before this depraved world, Christian Since it truly is the power of God for salvation That this world desperately needs needs to hear and to receive. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body do not shy away from a world that is growing ever more hostile toward our message, toward our faith, toward our beliefs, and toward our King Jesus Christ, but instead that we be courageous to acknowledge our faith before others. For let us not be ashamed of the gospel, Father, since it truly is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And thus because of that, Lord, let us. Be be willing, then, to share our testimony with others, our faith before others, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, knowing that for us to keep this message, our testimony, and our King a secret is to not love our neighbors as we should. And even when this is hard to do, Father, Let us always remember that you, God, are sovereign, and that if we acknowledge your Son, Jesus Christ, before men, that Jesus Christ then will acknowledge us before our Heavenly Father, and oh, what peace we can find eternally in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, give us courage, I pray. We believe, Lord. I believe. But help our unbelief. For when we go into the crosshairs of this world, and people ask us why we are so hopeful, why we are so peaceful, why... We are so optimistic when the world around us seems to be crashing and burning down. Let us always be prepared to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is in us, that being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the only one who can make us well, who can heal us spiritually who can reconcile us back to God the Father, and who can give us shalom, who can give us peace, wholeness, wellness, complete peace, because we know we have fellowship now with our Creator. Give us courage to share this message, to acknowledge our King, Jesus Christ, our faith in the gospel, and to be willing to share this message and our testimony with others. Do not let us be timid, Father. The world needs us not to be silent, but to share and to shine like light before others. In Jesus' name, amen.